0: Welcome to the Smokies and Wine podcast with JB and Jamie, with the best guests, wine and chat. You know it makes sense. Sponsored by Clack and View Wealth Management, working with you today to plan for your tomorrow.
1: Lee, thank you very much for joining us. It's episode four of the Smokies and Wine podcast. Uh, how are you doing?
2: Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm, I am I can only assume you've not seen or heard anything I've actually done uh, to, to invite me. So I, I always jump at the chance when somebody says, would you talk to us? Uh, because most people don't. So, yeah, thank you very much for the invite. It's an absolute pleasure.
1: No problem. We asked you to choose a bottle of wine. We're very excited. We've kept our hands off it, although we have opened it. Um, the Zuccardi Altamira Cabernet Franc. First of all, what made you choose this particular bottle?
2: you know it's always really tough isn't it when someone says Cho- choose a bottle of wine because there's there's so many out there and there's so many different things that I really enjoy but uh, ultimately I had a bottle of this I was trying to get rid of out of the cellar no not at all <laughs> I um, I Argentina is, is is a really important area or country for me not just in my work but in my personal life and I'm a huge fan of Zucardi as a producer I really like what they do I'm also a massive fan of the great writer Cabernet Franc and on my last trip to Argentina obviously didn't know last year because of COVID and lockdown Um, so I was last there in 2019 I spent some time specifically where this is from in Paraje Altamira and it was just one of the greatest wine days I've ever had you know just it's a phenomenal place breathtakingly beautiful you're about a thousand meters above sea level the air is incredibly pure there's no roads there's no traffic so it's any noise that you do hear is just entirely natural animals or you know people going did he really choose to wear that shirt here <laughs> um and it's oh it's just had a fantastic day and it, you know it's nice to you know hopefully introduce people to something they might not have had or might not have thought about so uh, yeah ended up with this Sucardi appalachian parache altamira which I, I i think is wonderful but
1: i see you have the glass there is are you drinking the same as us
2: I am indeed. I am indeed. Here it is to the camera so you can see.
1: Before we plow straight into it, I just want to say a quick shout out to our friends at The winereserve.co.uk for helping us out with this bottle. It was really good of them. Is there anything we should be doing before we taste this? I'm, I'm classing this as almost like an official wine tasting lesson. <laughs> Make it
0: quick. I'm thirsty.
2: I, I, I think that's the, the, the best way to do it is get straight into it. I, I teach um, and lecture around wine and, and a lot of that involves tasting and the tasting process and there's some some really cool science behind it but you know if, if, if I go into that I'll completely derail your show and no one will ever listen to it again but that sensory perception is is kind of unique to each person but I, I think just a little swirl to get a bit of air in there Sticking your nose in, start to see if you can pinpoint any fruits or characters, depending on you know how interested you are in wine how much you want to explore that. If you're drinking wine, just give it that swirl and stick your nose in and start to think about the things you're smelling. And then, yeah, then there's two options. You can either taste it you know, and write a very detailed note and consider food matching and talk about structure and acidity, or you can just drink it, which is <laughs> ultimately what we're all, all here for, isn't it?
1: Let's go with that option.
0: So cheers, Lee. Cheers again. Cheers, hello. So take us back to the start, Lee. How did you get into all this? Where did it all begin?
2: Uh, Alcoholic parents, really. No, I shouldn't say that. Uh, I've been around wine since about the age of five or six. So I had quite a continental style upbringing. Um, My parents encouraged me to taste, you know, a very small amount of white wine. And that was topped up with water or lemonade. I always clarify this because I, I, I work in the world of wine and I, I sort of live and work in and around Oxford. It's not where I'm from, but I've, I've lived in and around and worked in Oxford sort of over a decade now. And I, I got to know a lot of people who say oh, yes, you know, I kind of grew up with wine as well. But they came from a, a very different socioeconomic background to me. They grew up drinking fine claret and fancy burgundy and wines I'd never heard of. And I'm from a normal northern working class family. I, I'm quite fiercely proud of that as well. So wine wasn't fancy or snobby or pretentious for us. We just drank, I suppose, really what the popular wines were that you could easily get in the supermarkets. You know, we we, we maybe at Christmas had a bottle of chateauneuf de pape or something like that. But we, didn't, we certainly didn't grow up drinking expensive or, you know, in inverted commas, fancy wines. I, I had the kind of upbringing where I was encouraged to enjoy, I suppose, what some people might call the finer things in life. But I, I always think that sounds a bit pretentious, even though it isn't. So, you know, my old man, he liked music and he liked nice food and he liked good wine and and it was you know every meal was home cooked and it was the family around the table and wine was a big part of that and I just became really interested in it and there's a key event that I didn't realize was key at the time there's a quote from Kierkegaard about life can only be understood backwards but must be lived forwards um yes dear listeners I have wikipedia as well and I can look up philosophers <laughs> uh but there's, there, there's this great quote and it's only now I realise the importance of it, but I was 13 in a hotel in London with my mum. She ordered a glass of House Red in the hotel bar. I said, can I taste it? Yes. And so I immediately set about doing my best impression of Julie Gould and Oz Clark. And I was very dramatically swirling the glass and sticking my nose in and sniffing and go, oh, yes, raspberries and cherries. I have a clue what I was talking about. Then I, you know, tasted the wine and I did the horrendous <coughs> slurpy noise. My mother was dying of shame in the corner by this point. And I pronounced to the hotel, you know, the bar, I think this is an Australian Shiraz. And my mum said, you're 13, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but it, it was an Australian Shiraz. Now, it, it, you know, I'm 13, I don't know anything about this. I, I knew there was a grape variety called Shiraz, but I, I knew that there was more than that. I knew that there was one called Cabernet Sauvignon, there was one called Merlot. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't understand why they had different names. I also knew that wine didn't just come from Australia, so you know I knew the Italians made it and French made it, but i, I th- somewhere in my head, something happened and went. Isn't that really interesting? That by looking at this thing, smelling it, and tasting it, which is a capacity that most of us have got, I can identify something very specific. Yeah, you know, I wasn't just going, yeah, it's red wine. Yeah, it's, like, it's this, it's this grape from this place. Now, in case anybody's listening, going, wow, this guy's got amazing tasting talent. I'm, I'm pretty good. No, I. All I was doing was recognising what we drank at home. We drank a lot of Aussie Shiraz at home, and that was the popular wine at the time. So I, I was recognising it. But that really planted that seed of wine is super interesting, isn't it? What a cool... I've never been drawn to it because it's alcohol. I, I think because I grew up being allowed to taste diff- wines and even spirits, I, I never did that things like, great, I'm 18, I can go and get plastered now. It is a bonus, though. <laughs> it, is, it is a bonus. I mean, I have done that, but not for those reasons. So fast forward to me being 18, I was accepted to university and I was taking a year out and a job came up in my local odd bins and I used to, I was a Saturday boy for WH Smiths, which was opposite the odd bins. And I just used to look at it and go, wow, what a great job. You just sit around and drink wine all day, which it's not being a wine merchant is not. If, if, the, if that is a job somewhere, somebody let me know. So I applied for this job. I thought, you know, I'll work three or four months in this odd bins, taste a bit of wine, learn a little bit, go traveling, come back to university, whatever. And I got this job it was a full-time job and within three months I contacted the university and said you know thanks very much for giving me a place at your prestigious institution I won't be coming there was immediately a huge cheer on the other end of the phone I think I heard a party popper go off as well uh, it's now an annual calendar celebration and I've been in wine ever since I just I've never been a planner I'm, I, I don't plan things I don't think ahead particularly like that and say well in five years i want to be doing this and so on i've never looked at the world that way right you're wrongly but i just got this job in odd bins and it was a great place to be i was surrounded by really cool interesting people i was tasting incredible wines i just thought, what a great lifestyle you know and i, I you know I, I by that point sort of moved out lived in a flat with a friend of mine who was a really good chef uh, he was young british meat chef of the year at some point and and it was just that that melee of all these things coming together and I've, I've been in wine ever since and that was 2002 that I joined Obbins.
0: What did your parents think when you rejected university to become a professional wine girl?
2: <laughs> Well it was quite interesting because the, the assumption is isn't it it's like that sort of oh I'm going to be a musician no go and get a real job.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm very the older I get the more I realise that a lot of people don't have a great relationship with their parents and I was I've been incredibly blessed that I'm very close to both my folks my father's no longer here sadly I'm still very close to my mum can kind of talk to her about it. and i like really good friends not just parent and child so when I sat them down said a I'm really enjoying this I'm thinking of you know staying here I don't know what that means I don't know I, I still at that point didn't know that wine was a career but I, I really want to stay doing this I'm earning some money all right not much but you know I'm 18 whatever you earn as a salary is, is more than you've ever earned before and essentially they just said have you thought about this is that is this what you really want to do yes it is there's an element I think of you're big enough and old enough and if it goes wrong you'll have to deal with that but that's a good learning experience for somebody growing up but they were just supportive of it they very quickly saw that I loved what I was doing and they very quickly realized that the people around me were good people so I was working with good people um, and went well you know fair enough carry on and, I, and I've just done it ever since
0: yeah, that's very progressive parenting. I've worked in a few schools and that's what all parents are taught now. You know, my kids are teenagers and you're not meant to stand in their way or you know, let, let them follow their passion and what they enjoy. You know, and I sort of scoff at that, but it's it's good to hear that that's happening.
2: I suppose my view of parenting from my experience is I look at it a bit like being a winemaker. I think what a winemaker should do is gently guide the wine to a place where he thinks it can be rather than manufacture it to be in that place. So I don't think a winemaker goes, I've got these grapes. That starting point. A. I want to make B. I'm going to force it there, even if the fruit isn't isn't that. That's where it should be going. I think as a parent, I, I kind of try and guide my son rather than force him in a direction. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose that is, yeah, it's quite progressive. Certainly from the way my parents were brought up by their parents would have been very different.
1: Are you still involved with wine matters? It's the because you were head of education uh, there. That's the oldest wine school in Oxford, isn't it?
2: that's right so th- there's a series of qualifications you can do in wine which are run by the wine and spirit education trust WSET and anybody that's got more than a passing interest in wine you know at least go and do level one and two because even if you're not in the trade you, you, you really do learn so much but it's you know the people that you're learning with obviously it's a bit different now because we're in lockdowns and such but when you can get back in the classroom it's really valuable so I passed the the WSET diploma it's now called level four and that's a two-year course i passed that I, I did that 2011 to 2013 and the reason it, it came so late for me was i just couldn't afford it so i've never never had any money you know being a wine merchant's not a, here's the sob story being a wine merchant isn't a, a hugely paid job for 99 percent of our industry so i moved to oxford in 2010 and i started running the the oxford wine company's flagship store and also i kind of moved to oxford to open it and the ox wine company were really good to me and i had a, a brilliant five years with them and they said we'll pay for your diploma it's so like ka i'm in and i studied it through wine matters and Wine matters was actually the first non-educational institution in the world to be allowed to teach diploma so before that it was only you could only be taught kind of through universities or through the wsct wine school so i did my diploma with them i got on with the guy who owned the business who's a master of wine and it came to the time for me to sort of I'd, sort of done my time at the oxford wine company and it was that natural time to move on and he said look I, you know i think i've got a job for you as head of education and i ended up doing that for about three years and absolutely loved it what an opportunity again so i'm i'm a simple northern working class farming boy right so that's, that's all i'll ever be suddenly i'm traveling to barbados to lecture and teach people on wine i'm tra- traveling regularly to italy and, and all over the place and i was running i was running about 100 120 wine tastings a year be it through the wine school and formal teaching or my own kind of freelance uh wine events and uh, i could never have planned that i didn't realize that that was a thing at 18 i think probably around 2010 2011 i thought oh, wine education that's i think i could do that i really like i like i like seeing other people do well i thought what you know if, if i i know a little bit about wine i mean a tiny amount but if if the knowledge that i do have if that can help somebody else do well or move on in their career or whatever i'd really love to do that i think it makes you want to learn more so if you're a teacher or a speaker you sort of go i've got to be really on top of this material so it encourages you to learn even more so no I'm, i don't work for wine matters anymore i, I left there in 2017 but that, that was a great great job and i, I did so many amazing things I, i'm very privileged uh, and undeservedly so.
0: <clears throat> surely you couldn't be drinking wine every day, surely.
2: I gave it a damn good go. Uh, which it which explains my physical state currently. That but
0: that best question, do you spit or swallow?
2: I, I at home swallow. When it's work, spit so when I was so for example, when I was out in, in Barbados, so I was running a, a, a course out there, the level three course, which is five days of solid teaching. And we would have been doing 24 to 30 wines a day to cover the material. Uh, and that's a lot of wine. You know, it's, you sort of, it's easy to sit and go, oh, I could, you know, 24 wines in a day. Easy. When you're doing that at, at that level and you're really trying to learn about it, it's so much. You get about halfway through and you go, um, can I just have a cup of tea? But you've got 24 glasses, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So y- you've got to spit them out. So I remember everybody does this when they join the industry you go to your first big wine fair for me it was the London wine fair at XL which is at one point it was the biggest wine fair in the world it, it's it's not that now I think that's um pro vine which is in Germany but you go there and there's just, everybody's there you name a wine producer they're there they've got all their wines for you to try and you go and you go well hey i'm getting stuck in <laughs> i remember the first the first time i went so the guy that's taken me there and he's gone look i know you're pretty young you're new to this it's a really it's a big day out in london you know i grew up in the in the cold northwest all <laughs> oh, the bright lights of london i'm going an amazing time he said you've got to spit out and he's like i'm 18. don't need to spit out yeah you know, look at you you're what, what are you you're 37 you're really old mate and then um, we get to this wine for an, about an hour and a half in you know and and you're tasting pretty rapidly i was about an hour and a half in and i went i, I um i think i'm done because i'm i can't i can't stand up from this chair i can't see straight <laughs> and uh, i i'm 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 pretty sure i'm definitely going to need a cab to to get me back to the hotel and you sort of realize you, you can't do that when you're tasting at that level so i would taste i suppose in a typical year and obviously we we haven't had one of those for a while but i might taste you know 1500 2000 wines over the course of a year I've got to be spitting those out, and and a lot of the time I'm driving. So you know I'm driving to an event. No,
0: oh, what a
1: predicament!
2: It's awful, isn't it? it? It's the it's the very definition of a first world problem. By so for example, last February I was up in Larbert because the company I work for they've got a, an office there, and we were running some training. So I've driven all the way up to to Larbert, uh, not far from Glasgow. Done three days training and gone. I've now got to drive home. I I've got to be spitting this out. So I, I sort of trained myself. There are certain wines we go, I'm not, I'm not spitting that out. But over the course of, a, you know, 24 in a day, you might drink a couple of them. But then, you know, I said my drinking for at home.
0: Somebody pulls out a bottle of Petrus or whatever it is, you're not spitting
2: that <laughs> out, oh, no, that's, that's not happening at all. I, I remember um, being on a, a brilliant trip to Germany, and it was one of those trips where I, I normally you'd sort of rotate the driving and somehow I managed to get out of doing any driving for this three day trip. And we just, and another guy did as well, my friend Guy, and we just sat in the back of this, we'd driven over in one of these big Land Rover Discoveries. And we just sat in the back of this Land Rover Discovery, driving down the Autobahn, pelting out ACDC. And him and I, you know, we'd grab half a bottle from the producer we'd just seen, and go, yeah, we'll just swig that in the back. Yeah, I, I don't think I drank for about a week and a half after I got home and went, I just probably need to lay off a little bit but also you know it, it's all too easy to go down a slippery slope not to sort of be negative but you know I've worked with people who come in and they're, and they're putting slugs of vodka in the coffee in the morning yeah you know, and that's you know that's not and you're surrounded by it and it's always open and if there's been a lot of chat of late about the wine industry or the drinks industry and mental health and the things you need for mental health you know regular sleep patterns not too much alcohol and ideally you know not too many financial worries and you go the drinks industry is the exact opposite of all of that. All of it. So there's always an element. I, I try and have I try to have, you know, two to three days a week, ideally in a row where I don't drink. I can still taste because of my job. I sort of have to go, as long as I spit this out, I have to say that's all right. But if I swallow this, I'm drinking it.
1: Now, this wine that we're drinking there, I'm going to say really nice. This, this is the Zuccardi. Did they, I'm sure I read it, they won vineyard of the year or best
2: vineyard in the year of the in the world two years in a row something like that two years in two years in a row so there's this uh, there are several wine competitions and one of these things that they do is you know world's best vineyard i'm not entirely sure how that's judged uh, genuinely I, I don't really i think they take into account you know what what can people experience when they go there is it is it nice to look at all and, and then other aspects about how well the fruit and the vines are maintained and so there's all sorts of criteria but I, I visited this, this vineyard a couple of times and it was one I was at last August in Parake Altamira. So it's called Piedra Infinita, which means the infinite stone or the infinite rock. Yeah, I've, I've been very privileged. I've travelled to a lot of wineries and a lot of different vineyards around the world. And this is genuinely one of the most breathtaking, staggering places I've ever been to. So it's in uh, Paraque Altamira is the name of, sort of like the specific area which sits in a part of Mendoza called the Uco Valley. And the important thing is there, you're sort of like a 1,000 metres above sea level. And it's a give or take two hours from Mendoza City. So you're really in the middle of nowhere. There's no other amenities here. So if you fall ill, you've got like a two-hour trip to the hospital. And this is Argentina, so you're probably better off just trying to heal yourself in the vineyard, to be honest. And it's just the air is fresh. There's no pollution. The quality of light that you get is really pure because of where you are and you're higher up. And it's all, there's a lot of, I'm gonna do some soil chat now because that's what people want, isn't it? Soil chat, folks, come on.
0: We were hoping you could go,
2: woohoo, soil! Soil chat, rocks, (laughs) Uh, that's cool. That's what people wanna talk about. But uh, it's got all these huge boulders and calcareous rocks, but you're right in the foothill of the mountains. And this winery, it's staggeringly beautiful. And the fact that it's won this award twice, but you you look at this vineyard and the winery and everything they've done, and it's just staggering. If anybody, it, it's a long way to go to Mendoza. It's like going to Australia. It's the same travel time. But if you get the chance to to go to Mendoza, but to to go to this uh, Piedra Infinita vineyard, it is stunning. Absolutely stunning place.
0: Now, your favourite's um, Argentina wine. you like Spanish wine as well? Why do you go there? Why is that your favourite? I like Spanish wine, and I've got my own reason. It's just because I don't get hangovers, but,
2: you know. Oh, right. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, thats I'm going to have to try that. Um, so I'm, I'm a wine lover. Ultimately, I you know I love wine, I, and I have things that I go to more than others. I think everybody does. like saying you're a music fan, but, you you know, you've got favourite bands. Um, my wife is from Argentina. So my wife is from a little town called San Martin, which is about 20, 25 minutes outside of Mendoza City. And it's a perfect base for me so my wife and you know can spend a lot of time with her family but from a a sort of a a work or education perspective i can say look i'm going to take two or three four days drive around and visit some producers and i've got to know some producers out there quite well and it's just it's the country where i've spent the most amount of time i spent a lot of time in italy so when i was at wine matters we had a sister business and we imported reasonably high-end italian stuff and we you know i was in italy six times a year and i i adore italy uh, just a whole country. I, uh, everything about Italy, I just love it. But Argentina, I've, I've visited a lot, and um, I've been all over the country, and I've done Buenos Aires and tartar and Patagonia, and, and I just love it. And it, it sort of naturally, because of that, has kind of become an area that. Well, hang on, I've got more experience there, other than Italy. I should talk more about Argentina, and I genuinely love the wines as well. So it, it sort of all came together.
1: You're obviously a wine expert we're clearly not a wine expert. And there's going to be a lot of people that, that would listen to this that won't be wine experts as well. So for a sort of a layman that will either go to their local supermarket to buy a 7 £8 bottle of wine or, or, or slightly more than that, what, can, what would someone do to enhance their wine drinking experience on, on a very simple level, whether it's decanting it, whether it's doing something different, or any tips that you would have for people that... Can't afford to go and spend forty quid, fifty quid on a bottle of wine, as most people can.
2: It's, you know, it's, it's a really good question because there's so many different angles to it. So, I suppose I'll, I'll preface it. I've, I've realised I'm a terrible guest because what I do is I take your question, then say something else, and eventually answer <laughs> it. I'm, I'm horrendous, uh, which is because I, I, I do my own show on Instagram Live. And if someone did that to me, I'm like, can you just, can you just answer what I've asked you? Thanks the thing that I love most about my job is trying to help other people see and experience as much joy in wine as I find from it and, and, and if I can do that whether that person learns any technical stuff or not is irrelevant But if they go well wow, I really enjoyed that that you know helped my evening feel a bit better than I've done my job so I, I just want people to share in the joy that I find in it so my first piece of advice is if it's possible try and find a local independent wine merchant People work in independent wine merchants because they care about the product. They care about the person who's making that product, but they also care about the end consumer or end user of that product. And that's the magic triumvirate. If you've got got those three things, you get the best service and quality. And what you also get in indies is if you go in and say, I want to spend seven quid. In the past, I've had X, Y, and Z, and I've liked it. The person in that shop goes, I've got a list of stuff I think you'll like. Let's talk about it. So you get that that little bit of guidance which i think is really important in a subject like wine and 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 not just wine many other subjects if going to an indie is for whatever reason not feasible spend what you're comfortable with because i always say oh just spend a bit more that potentially takes that drinker into unfamiliar territory and in order to wine's a really funny thing in that in order to understand certain wines you have to experience have experienced other certain wines and if you've not that that can be really challenging, especially given most people are just buying this stuff to go. I just want to relax on Thursday night and have a nice glass of wine. I I don't want to have to suddenly go through reams of stuff that I've had before and go, oh, that's what this wine is doing. So kind of spend within your comfort zone for sure. When you're having that glass of wine that you and you really enjoy it, just take a few extra seconds to think about why you're enjoying it. And it could just be, do you know what, this is Cabernet Sauvignon, I've realised I like that. Or it could be I've realized that this is quite full bodied. I like that. Or I've, I've realized there's something specific that this wine's doing that I like. And if you can put that into words, when you go into that indie, it would help. Or to be honest, Google, you know, independent wine merchant first, if that's most Google, Google, good, full bodied red because you like full bodied. I think that gives you a good steer. It, yes, yeah, it's, it's quite a man feel to, to navigate. But if, if you know, you know, if you know you like a particular grape or you like a particular country, stay within that and then find someone who maybe knows a tiny bit more than you, whether it's a friend or an indie merchant or whoever, and go, well, oh, I like wines from Argentina. Where else could I try? Should I try Chile or America or, or wherever? Or just just call me.
0: <laughs> the, whole, the whole wine industry has got so many gadgets, and we're gadget guys. All, all men are gadget guys. Is there two or three gadgets you'd recommend out of the myriad of rubbish out there? Is there, is there a couple that you would say definitely get that
2: would help? do you know i'm a pretty simple guy so i i've been given all sorts of fancy corkscrews as presents uh, and i still come down to a very simple waiters friend I, I i find that the best decanter get yourself a nice decanter because decanting wine you know i decant everything red white don't decant fizzy uh, but decanting wines helps so getting yourself a nice decanter wine thermometers i know quite quite a few people like those you stick it on your bottle and it tells you what temperature your wine's at um I think a nice having a nice set of wine glasses and a decanter, I think that enhances the experience of drinking so much. But a decanter, does that not mean you need to finish the bottle? Well, I mean, who isn't? Who's who's <laughs> are the people not doing that? That's a that's a huge concern to me. That's do you know it's an interesting industry stat here. 25 percent of 18 to 35 year olds don't drink at all now there's another interesting stat i don't know if you're aware of it 25 percent of 18 to 35 year olds are bloody idiots <laughs> um, now, i don't know i don't know if those two things are related i've not done the research but uh, uh, yeah most decanters have a stopper in so if you're not finishing that bottle put the stopper in it if you're really concerned if it will fit in the fruit depends because some decanters are really and you know, to try and keep it cool because that slows down any biological decay in the wine or anything like that for the next day. But if it isn't, you need to up your game and finish it off.
0: Well, yeah, has to. I've got one of those vac pumps. Do you think those help?
2: Yeah, they work. They do. really, And then you can put the bottle back in the fridge. They're good. But ideally, you know, just drink your wine. The best advice ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially now during lockdown. What, are... Literally, what are you doing? You're watching Netflix. That demands a bottle of wine.
1: It seems to be coming almost back in fashion. These you know, boxed wines, when I was growing up, was a was a big no no. But boxed wines and pod sort of type bags of wine are seem to be coming back in fashion. Is that a is that something you would say to people worthwhile trying or stick to traditional bottles?
2: It's it's certainly growing. So there's there's a lot of concern now and a lot of thought now again as there should be about carbon footprint. And a, a really scary statistic is that. I think it's about 85% of wine's carbon footprint is in that glass bottle. So in the production of that glass bottle and then moving that glass bottle around the world. Now, I suppose it's cognitive dissonance. I, I, I love glass bottles and I I, I find it I'm not, I, I don't find it difficult to get away from them, but ultimately for me, that's always there, which should be in the glass bottle. I think canned wine is really exciting. I've had some great canned stuff and it's brilliant, but glass bottles will never go away. But there's also this growth, you're quite right, of bag in box and, and all of that. And I think the issue it faces is, if we remember it how it used to be, it was never good wine, was it? It was just bulk crap juice, sold cheaply, you know, aimed for somebody who just wants a glass of wine without thinking about it. And that isn't the case now. So there's some really good, there's a producer, I think they're called When in Rome, and they're making they're making some really good stuff. They've got a deal in, they do some stuff with Waitrose, and their wines are really good. And it's it's like the canned wine thing. You know, ten years ago canned wine was just cheap yeah. rubbish in a can. Whereas now people are going, no, I'm gonna take good wine and put that in a can and kind of aim at a slightly different market than this thing did ten years ago. And I think bag in box is doing the same. So there's some really good stuff. And it's ultimately wine is horses for courses. So, you know, really high-end Bordeaux and Burgundy is there ever gonna be bag in box? No, it isn't. It's that's gonna be in a glass bottle with a cork because ultimately that's the best container and vessel for what that wine is supposed to do, which is age well. Bag in box is no longer just cheap naff stuff, but it's decent wine going. If you're a regular drinker and you want something decent, you don't want to break the bank, but you are concerned about, you know, carbon footprint and uh, the environment, maybe this is the thing for you. So I, I think that will guide. I've just started working with a producer in Italy uh, called Vincio Valeo Serra that, that only just started coming into the UK. I've listed a couple of their wines. Vince. No, so Vincio, Vincio Valio Serra is the name of the producer. And a lot of what they produce is bag in box. And a lot of that is sold in Italy. And a huge amount is sold in massive in the States, huge out there. So I think it will grow. And, it, you know, just the fact that it it's that different direction to it. So it's not just, oh, I say any old crap stick it in that box. It's now, let's put good wine in here. So I think, yeah, it's really exciting. Um, it's area. Not
0: like the age, Ryan, like you're saying. It's just back, canned and boxed, ready to drink. Is that what it is?
2: yeah yeah that's it so because of what wine wine needs the sort of the ingress of extrinsic oxygen to age which is why cork is really good so it needs a bit of air basically when you put wine in a bag in box or in a can it's hermetically sealed so all that will happen is that what the wine won't get better but at some point it will fall apart because it won't hold itself together long enough so it's about saying we're going to put good wine in there for immediate consumption i did some stuff with um imaginatively titled the canned wine company and they're kind of the highest highest end wine in cans that i've tried so uh, a 250 mil can was sort of five six quid six six seven quid something like that so again it's quite premium but the quality of the liquid was there whereas 10 years ago it would just been how cheap is this well to get it cheap the 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 wine will be worse you don't care well that's two glasses isn't it roughly or something maybe the way I pour, I mean, it's nearly the whole bottle. Uh, yeah, so, so two fifty is 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 one large glass or two small in a you know in a bar or restaurant.
1: Yuri, Instagram handle, Twitter handle, wineman Man One Four Seven. Yeah. We're a snooker fan, so we can't let we can't walk past the fact that you're obviously a snooker fan as well. This is how we sort of connected in the first place do you go to a lot of tournaments? Do you play? Who's your favourite player? All three questions
2: all rolled into one sweet package. Do you know, I bloody love snooker. I, I look for, so I'm going to get a bit existential again because that's the sort of thing I do. I, my philosophy of life is that life is just a series of connected moments, right? And a lot of those moments are dull, dreary, forgettable. You know, it's driving to an office. It's going to pay the bills. They're not memorable. You're not on your deathbed going, oh yeah, I remember I went to the post office that time to post those. Like, you don't do that. So I think, Part of being alive is, is uh, ultimately. I'm an absurdist, so I read Albert Camus when I was about sixteen, and it hugely informed my world choice and made me sound even more pretentious. Um, again, I reiterate, I'm northern working class. I, I just read some books once, and uh, so I have this absurdist view that, like, what you've got to do is whatever that moment is, try and give it meaning and try and find joy in it. Like, so I think that's that's what we should do, and that's part of why. And snooker for me is that it's snooker is one of the few things in my day to day life that. Whether I'm at a tournament watching it, whether I'm watching it on the telly, the only thing I'm thinking about is the snooker. Everything a lot of other things. So even when I'm playing my guitar in the back of my mind, oh hang on a minute, I'm gonna get up early in the morning because I'm gonna get my son somewhere or something's going on. Snooker, I'm, I'm fully immersed in it. I've been to quite quite a lot of events. I went to I went to the Shootout in 2015, which was in Blackpool, but I got like backstage tickets. Yeah. And I think we went. I think it was the second day, so we got the players' lounge and that. You know, I was like a kid at Christmas because these guys were <laughs> heroes. And I actually ended up, you, you could, the, the, the thing with the shootout, as you will know, is you don't yeah. have to sit still for the whole frame. You can leave mid-frame, which we didn't do. If the frame started, we saw, you know, it's only 10 minutes. But I went with the, uh, the guy I used to know and we sort of went, do you know what, we'll go back to the players' lounge and just grab a beer and sit and watch a couple on the screens. And we sat watching it and, and sort of diagonally opposite me, there's a, there's a guy who I, I knew he was, but I don't want to spoil the story. And there was a piece of commentary, which was Willie Thorne, you know, rest his soul. And he said, Willie Thorne said something like, oh, that was a good shot. And it was Jimmy White. And he said, oh, that's quite something, given your standards, Willie. And I overheard it burst out laughing. And that just blew my mind. It's like, Jimmy White was my hero. I know you're big Stephen Hendry fans, but it's like, it's Jimmy White was was my guy. And I, that, that final in 94 with Miss Black. And I just, I'm sat here watching snooker with Jimmy White. That is blew my to this day blew my mind. I've met Ronnie a couple of times. Ronnie's my, I think Ronnie makes it quite difficult to be a fan of Ronnie at times. But exactly, when you, I, I don't, I don't get into that old that whole Ronnie, You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm a snooker fan and then a Ronnie fan. I'm not, I'm, you know, not the other way around You know, it, it's one of those things. It frustrates me a bit when he's not playing and Rob Walker comes out at the final and everybody's going Ronnie. It's like he's not even in it. He's not. Yeah. in but um, I've met Ronnie a couple of times, and again, that was a proper wow. So jealous of that. I technically, oh, I technically didn't. I kind of had dinner with him, but without having dinner with him, it was the, when he won his seventh Masters. And in the mid, in between the two sessions, we we went out to get a bite to eat, and we sat there having a bite to eat. And into the restaurant comes Ronnie, and he sat at the table next to us and had dinner. So I, I technically, I had dinner with Ronnie O'Sullivan, of course, of course, not at the same table and not talking to him. But yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a huge Ronnie fan. I just, I just love snooker. I think it's brilliant. I love the artistry of it, uh, watching it going, going. I remember my first trip to the Crucible. That was what a place the Crucible is. Amazing. It's incredible, isn't it? You know, and it, and it's wholly unfit for hosting a snooker tournament. Exactly. I remember the, the so I walked in and looked down and and just sort of realised they can barely fit these two tables. If if you took three or four inches off either side he couldn't do it You couldn't it's incredible and the atmosphere there i know um you had you had the lovely phil seymour on uh who was definitely drinking because he said ridiculously nice things about him and i i want to publicly say that um that was very very kind of him and i was i was genuinely humbled by the nice things he said oh no you, you don't want to do what he said about you afterwards don't worry. <laughs> well no best not cause i keep giving him wine when he's in milton <laughs> Kings. But, um I think he said, you know, you come down those steps and it's like the audience on, are on top of you. And it's like, if you know, if you're a snooker fan and you've never made it, try it as hard as you can. It's just an incredible experience.
0: Oh, it's a cathedral of snooker. That blew us away. Yeah, it's amazing. We've
1: just, def- obviously, it's you know, we're going to be limited to crowds this year. So we've just deferred. Yeah. We should have been going, but we've, we've taken option two and deferred to next year's.
2: When I was really ill with pneumonia, I got a Twitter, a tweet from... Ah, um, oh, is it Shelley Higgins? Alex Higgins's niece. Okay, we're going to try and get her on, actually, Shelley. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. I mean, I mean, I don't know her at all, but she, I, I was tweeting about being really upset that I couldn't go to the snooker, and she just replied, like, "I'll oh, get well soon." I'm like, "That's cool." Excuse but my me. mum, my mum met Alex Higgins in a workington nightclub, and he knocked her teeth out, and uh, she, she didn't get the bouncer to do it, but the bouncer saw it because she was a local girl.
1: Did you just say Alex Higgins knocked your mum's teeth out?
2: Yeah, yeah, so she, he's it, basically he was, he was sort of hitting on her and she wasn't having any of it. Next thing, I think he slapped her or something. He's, he's, or oh, he's knocked a filling out or something. So the bouncers have turfed him down the stairs and chucked him out. Now, my favourite part about this was the very first snooker event I went to. It was, um, you know, a little exhibition and it was Steve Davis and John Virgo. And this would have been late 90s, something like that. And they've done this exhibition and you queue up afterwards to meet them and shake their hands and all of that. And I always wear hats and I wear a fedora. So I turned up to, you know, get their autographs. And the two of them looked at each other and Steve Davis went, oh, I've got a young Alex Higgins here. And I don't know what on earth possessed me. I went, oh, I've got a funny story about Alex Higgins. So Steve Davis looks at JV, looks back, looks at me and went, go on then. And I went, oh, he, uh, he knocked my mum's teeth out in a working tonight club. Steve Davis just looks at me and he went, do you expect me to be surprised by that? <laughs> it's not very... It, and then he went... It's not a very funny story, is it? And I sort of went, no, 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 it's not. Would you, would you sign this? Incredible, incredible. I, I um, I rewatch it quite regularly. But that semi-final frame in 1982 against Jimmy White, oh. where he, where he, that. I mean, that's the, that's the best break ever made on the snooker table. I know you, it's, it's insane. Just you know, I know you got Ronnie's fastest maxi and that break of 69. Because every shot is out of position. I, I can watch that again and again and again and never get bored of it even though you know what's coming it just oh it's magnificent I, I love that story ken doherty tells where he says uh alex higgins has gone around to ken doherty's house so he's, he's got a, his own snooker room and they're, you know they're having a few balls and uh doherty he, he's got sort of picked football pictures ever anyway ken doherty and he's got um alex higgins is wandering around while doherty's re-racking him. and he wanders up and he's looking at this picture of george best and Alex Higgins, so he's got his vodka and orange and a cigarette and he just looks at this picture of George, of George besting us. Ah, what a waste. Like, <laughs> the absolute irony of that is just... And the, the way Ken Doughty tells that story, it's just... Oh, it's just joyous. It's sad, but joyous. Like, just not aware at all. But, um, yeah, what a character.
1: Just as we're wrapping up
2: uh, here, Lee, uh, what's on the horizon for you? Have you got anything big coming up? I've got well as we as things return to normal obviously sort of my day job will become busier um so that's you know something to look forward to because I work with a variety of people all all over the country you know from Scotland all the way down to Cornwall I'll get busier in terms of running training courses and starting to get out hosting wine dinners and such uh which would be you know nice to get back doing that from a sort of formal day job perspective I do a lot of stuff on social media so I I have this I, i'm always reticent to use the word show because that feels too formal for the faffing about that i do but I, I do this show called poor decisions which is really clever that's why i'm in comedy but i essentially i wouldn't say interview i but i chat to people from the line i've had masters of wine on i've had wine producers uh, all sorts of people like that and we just talk kind of about what they do their life in wine how they got into it it's not it's not a technical chat at all i'm doing Quite a lot. So as, as we record this, it's the beginning of what's called the Big English Wine Easter. So last year there was a big initiative on social media, which is called the Big English Wine Good Friday. So Jacob Ledley, who's one of our best uh, winemakers in, in England, he realised that, you know, if we're in, for one day this year, if everybody that drinks wine bought a bottle of English wine, that would save our industry because you know obviously covid lockdown we're on the verge of collapse no bars no restaurants and it was a huge success and they've, they've done it again this year and I, I was very very humbled that Jacob approached me and said I'd like you to be involved so me being me I can never just go oh yeah I'll just do a poor decisions chat with some English winemakers I've gone how can I make this as complicated and unwieldy <laughs> as possible In and, and, and hope that it's a train wreck so I'm doing this thing where it's called the big english wine big english big english wine easter big english wine mastermind snappy i've got six producers coming on over the course of an hour and we're going to do a mastermind quiz on english wine and their specialist subject and then yeah just carrying on i I do these silly wine music videos i've got some of those lined up and hopefully before too long we'll be able to travel and i'm I'm keen to get back out i was i was due to be in italy a couple of times Uh, i actually did have a trip almost lined up to new zealand that that fell through but i think they're a little way off but i'll just I'll keep doing what i'm doing making a racket with a guitar and drinking good wine
0: well we look forward to hearing more
1: and more of you on social media absolutely me. and if you ever want to do a snooker mastermind bear us uh, in, in part of your, your, your oh,
2: right. I, well, I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you what you're on for that because i am um, so I, I spoke to phil yesterday after i listened to the podcast with him on it and sort of went oh he said nice things about me nobody ever does that and i said no, it doesn't have to be about why i just do wine because i'm in wine but you know phil agreed to come on um so if you want to come on this this poor decisions debacle and we'll turn it into some kind of snooker mastermind that that would be enormous not spot. a problem we would love no. to do that
1: there's <laughs> still some kind of wine involved so let's wait till after the crucible so phil can enjoy one
2: most definitely That that um you know snooker's biggest loser that him and sean murphy's doing is it is just fantastic and i it's easy with the news and the press today to sort of get a bit down about the state of the world, but you see what they're doing, you know, it's good for them. Yeah, of course. But, you know, they're raising money for such great charities. And, you know, I think Sean said, didn't he, for every ton he makes, um, he's going to throw in a hundred quid over a grand now, Um, which with his scoring ability, that's, he's not a no hoper, is he? He's not like, Oh, you know, if I make a century watch me, if Sean, Um, you know, I just think that's wonderful what they're doing. And, um, you know, hopefully, I, I can sort of put together some. Once we're all able to move about, I'd like to do some kind of live wine tasting uh, to raise to raise money for them. But um, you know, it's a little way down the track. But uh, definitely. But I, I just want to say, you know, thanks for having me on. I am. Um, I, I feel a bit out of place because you've got some really prestigious, cool, smart, you know, quite high-profile guests on here, and then you've got me. So I can only assume this this is part of some government scheme or something. But thank you, thank you so much.
1: No, Lee, thank you so much. And uh, if we don't catch up with you before it. We'll try and make a date to, it uh, if you've got tickets for next year, we'll try and hook up with you live.
2: Definitely. Oh, that would be awesome. Absolutely love to.
0: Most definitely.
1: Brilliant, Thank you so much Cheers for coming generous. on. Take care now. Take okay. care.
2: All the best. Thank you very Bye. much.
0: You've been listening to the Smokies and Wine podcast, sponsored by Clackenview Wealth Management, working with you today to plan for your tomorrow.